Hi, everyone. Welcome to Leaders for Good podcast. I'm Sarah, and this is my brother. I'm Joshua, and uh, today we're going to be interviewing Justin Douglas. Uh, he's currently based in Victoria, actually. Awesome. So Justin Douglas is an actor, yogi, and activist. He hosts Canada's Social Changemakers, a YouTube series of interviews with progressive Canadians making a positive impact in their communities. Justin also holds degrees in political science from the University of Victoria and in common and civil law from McGill University. He recently lives in Victoria, BC with his partner, David, and their four cats and three dogs. Um, Justin Douglas here. He has a YouTube channel called Just in Canada. I love it. Did you recently change the name or was it... Um, no, it's always been Justin Canada. It's sort of like the, the play on my name. Uh, it was also at the time when Justin Trudeau was first running for election. So a lot of people were like, who is this Justin Trudeau? Is this the Liberal Party? What's going on? Uh, but the YouTube series is called Canada Social Changemakers. And very similar to what both amazing work you guys are doing is uh, interviews with Canadians who are making some sort of positive contribution and wouldn't necessarily have their voices heard in mainstream media. Well, I love that. How did you get started, Justin? Um, it started uh, basically because I had, like you mentioned, I have all these degrees and I moved to Toronto. I articled in immigration and refugee law and I was feeling really frustrated with the system. I just felt like I was banging my head against a wall in terms of social justice. It was really hard to find social justice opportunities, work opportunities. Uh, so I took a step back and I got involved in the entertainment industry and I started working on television shows and movie sets and. And I thought, well, this is really cool, but there's sometimes not a lot of substance to the things that were happening. And there's these massive budgets on these entertainment sets. Mm -hmm. And so I moved back to Montreal and I thought, well, how can I bridge my political, legal, social justice knowledge with my entertainment experience now? And maybe I can try to bridge them because as you might know, in Canada, there's all these different media outlets, but when it comes down to it, most of them are owned by six corporations. Yeah. And corporations don't necessarily have the public interest in mind. And so I just felt like it was really important to offer progressive media that spoke to the public interest. And so that's where the idea came about. Uh, I started doing it in Montreal, just trying to build it up interview by interview. I took a couple of years off when I moved to Victoria just to get settled in here. And then the pandemic started and the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, Indigenous Lives Matter and, and Black Indigenous people of color and the oil pipeline protests and all these things. And I thought, well, I have this platform uh, it already has, you know, a, a good number of subscribers. I need to be using my voice again. So I got it going and it's really taken off again. Well, I love that. Actually, it, it kind of reminds me of something that I did recently. Uh, well, we'll be talking about it, but uh, for anyone that's listening, it'll already be published and uh, chances are some of you may have already heard about it. Uh, I decided to write a letter to Justin Trudeau and I posted a video of me reading it and explaining uh, why I did it and some of my frustrations and the story behind it, so. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Very cool. I'm glad that you, uh, you know, you found your voice again and uh, got active on your platform at such a, um, a detrimental time, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for all of us, any of us, like what you guys are doing, what I'm doing, anyone who has the ability to use their voice to try to raise awareness for things going on, especially at home where we live, where we care about what's happening is really important. And so now's the time. Now's the yeah. time to do it. There's a, a, an interest in social justice issues like never before. I think um, yeah. 
we're in a polarized environment right now uh, between the sort of right-left dichotomy, if you still believe in left and right politics. And there's this um, middle of people who I think are just your average Canadian who doesn't necessarily identify strongly with any sort of political identity, but maybe is interested in learning a little bit more about some of the issues and want to, you know, get information in a way that's that's helpful. So I think it's important yeah. that we're all doing this. Absolutely. And I'm getting the impression, and uh, I'm curious to see if you feel the same way, but because of things of late, especially with COVID, uh, a lot of people are not having their voices heard. Uh, I used to know people in Alberta and even in other provinces. Well, I know people in BC, uh, one person in Manitoba, and I would hear stories of what's going on in the provinces. And it's like, I hear different little bits of information. And the only way I know about it is by talking to them. And it's not being told to me through the media. And I'm going, why aren't we hearing this? And even uh, thinking to international, I'm hearing stories of other countries and I'm like, yeah, why are we hearing this? But I think for our nation, it's important that each and every individual, especially from the minority groups has a place to, to speak them for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to my earlier point about corporate media and the domination of corporate media. Um, when six corporations own all of the media that we see, we're not going to get stories that are in the public interest. And so things like environmental movements, protests, things that counter the powers that be are just not going to make it into mainstream media stories. And there's a certain sensational aspect. And if it's not a sensational get ratings, boost our profits, stories that make sense to us, it's just not going to get into the public discourse. And that's why it's our job as independent people to help bring those stories to light. Totally. And I'm curious, because uh, admittedly, I'm trying to figure out who the six major corporations are. And I'm sure some of our listeners are aware. Are you uh, open to educating us on uh, who the six companies Yeah, I mean, I would encourage, I don't have the list offhand, but I would encourage you to Google it. You can find out, it all comes down to um, a lot of big trust companies, basically. And Viacom and all these different organizations, Suncor Media, which owns the majority of newspapers in Canada, um, you could put CBC on the list as one of right. the, the broadcasters. Canada has a different mandate, obviously, than the corporate ones, but it's still a mandate uh, for Canadian unity. So it has its own specific agenda. And then the idea of a public interest. Um, so there's not actually a lot of independent media in Canada. There have been some successful tries. There's like Canada Land, the Taiyi, the Narwhal, Indigi News. So there have been attempts to have um, ricochet media in Quebec where you guys are. So there have been a lot of attempts to have independent media, but most of them become subscription-based services or rely on crowdfunding. So there's been a lot of challenges in order for independent progressive media to find income sources and to challenge the corporate structures that be. So I think that's one of the main challenges that all of us face in doing this. And it's the corporations that have this money, have this power. And so trying to counter that is it's its own mountain. Yeah but I would certainly encourage everyone to find out for themselves exactly how the media structure works. People turn to YouTube so much for information, but if you Google it, you can see, see the, the hierarchy of how it goes down. I can imagine. Uh, I know for myself, I actually use YouTube as a primary source of information now, uh, particularly because I've noticed it's, uh, I get the impression that it's of the people and from the people. And I prefer that kind of perspective instead of going to a lot of the, the bigger news agencies.
happens. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you know, we're having these conversations and they're really valuable. On the other hand, you have these sort of alt-right, proud boys, no facts whatsoever, conspiracy theories. And it's good to challenge. I mean, I'm not against conspiracy theories. There's a lot of truth in these things, but there's been a lot of manipulation by mainstream media and a lot of manipulation by individuals. So no matter where you get your news from, you have to fact check, you have to make sure it's, it's based on anything, but there's still a lot of interesting stuff out there on YouTube too. Uh, one question that I'm curious, uh, especially because I love researching information at this point, especially with the craziness that's going on in our lives right now. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any particular criteria that you use when you fact check or even things that our audience can use? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been about vetting because most of my, my stories have been same as you doing interviews with different people. So for me, it's a lot of vetting. Um, and that, because a lot of people will say, hey, I work for a nonprofit or an NGO and I want to highlight the work that I'm doing. And then you find out they're being sponsored by Hershey's, which is like has child slave labor in whatever country or Monsanto or these GMO things. So I think it's even people who claim to be involved in and work for good, it's still necessary to do your background and your homework and see who they're involved with. No one's perfect. We all have mistakes. We live in a capitalist society. We have to make money. We have to survive. So there are limitations and sort of our aspirations of what we can do, but there's still um, the ability to, to be aware of these things and try to mitigate it as much as possible and to be honest and open. So for me, it's about vetting the people that I interview uh, and then corroborating or checking some of the stories that they that they tell me Absolutely. but in terms of yes. media in general i'm sure you guys do the same thing for for your podcast as well uh, but in terms of fact checking um it's so hard because you can even when it comes to scientific research and we all probably agree that science is really important but you can have scientific research that's still sponsored by particular corporations and particular yeah. interest groups and you can find this paper says this, this paper says that vitamin C, vitamin D is going to help you against coronavirus. Nope, you need to have this prescription drug. So there's always a back and forth and there's generally a scientific paper that will corroborate one side or the other. So there has to be a certain sense of intuition with it as well. Like, uh, yes, it has to be based in fact, based in science. You have to check your sources and it also has to feel genuine and real to you. So, I mean, I think there's a whole spectrum of answers to that. And pressing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was going to say thank you. I was going to bring up intuition, and I'm glad that you um, brought that up. Um, yeah, just um, I feel that a lot of people are relying on outside sources and not checking within. Mm -hmm. And um, that can be detrimental to whatever their outcome is. Yeah. Um, so I just really feel that it's very important to listen to your intuition or just to go within. And um, yeah. Yeah, we all have discernment and we all know when it doesn't, something doesn't feel right. And that's about learning to trust our inner gut, not just for the media that we consume, but for everything in life. And so um, there, it's like, yeah, it's again, you have to take responsibility for yourself and still look at the world as best as you can. Because, right, there's positive things in this world. There's less than positive things, but we can't put our head in the sand and pretend it's not going on. Yeah. But we still have to to get through it somehow. And the best way to do it is to work together to bring these things to light and move forward as, as communities and as a country. Absolutely. And uh, I'm curious, especially in regards to uh, COVID and what's going on, it seems like there's a lot of darkness that is being portrayed in the world. 
And uh, I'm curious if you have any techniques or strategies of how to deal with that, especially for our audience. And I know for myself, like I was uh, reading some news about what's going on even in the United States or on different social media platforms. And I noticed that it's like, I was getting overwhelmed. <laughs> and so do you have a strategy of say how to check in with yourself and trust your intuition? And also maybe to find a balance between the dark news and then with the positive news. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think sometimes you just need to shut off mainstream media. It's a fear-based mechanism. It's there to provoke these feelings within you. So sometimes it's necessary to just go, okay, for the next 24 hours, I'm going to get off social media for, or yeah. for whatever period of time. But there's also, you want to stay informed and know what's going on in the world. And so it's, again, you have to like go back and forth. But I do think it's really important to think of COVID as a learning opportunity for mm -hmm. us as a country and for us as a society. How do we treat each other? Because COVID has taught us a lot of things. One, that a capitalist economy is not necessarily the best economy for especially people at the lower end of, of the income spectrum and for people of different minorities, different uh, backgrounds. There are a lot of like contract workers who have not been treated very well through this migrant workers, um, you know, we rely on the grocery store clerks and all of these people who are all of a sudden people who didn't necessarily get a lot of respect in our society, we realize are actually really important. The people who grow our food, pick our food, deliver our food, stand at the grocery checkout for us, those are important people. Millionaires for football and soccer and actors and all of these things that provide a glam in Hollywood are not as important as we sort of as society put that weight on. And so I think that's been a big realization. And it's also been a time for us to re-examine what our own priorities are, because there's a lot of people who are working at home now, who are not commuting to the office, and it's a time to, or have lost their income and, and source of employment altogether. So it's an opportunity to be like, hey, what am I actually doing with my life? What is important to me? What are my values? And maybe this is an opportunity for me to try something different. So. There are positives that have come out of it. It's still scary. It's scary. I have a 90 year old grandmother who's in Sydney, British Columbia. I don't want her to get COVID. I want people to be responsible and wear masks. I also don't want to live in a draconian society. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people, not a lot, but there's some negative forces that are trying to use this pandemic for their own will. But there's a lot of people who are on the side of light who are trying to do this too, to bring it into a better and, and, and a new society. So. I don't think we can go back to normal. I don't think that the normal that we had before was the best for us, but this is an opportunity to move all of us forward and to have real conversations about what community means, what capitalism means, uh, what democracy means. We're looking at like the leaders. We've had all these stories now of leaders being out of the country, taking travel vacations when there's a, a lockdown. Yeah. Right, so these things are anger the average citizen. So it's another opportunity to hold our elected officials accountable. Like we can't just vote for someone and then do nothing for five years and say, well, I'm gonna vote you out because you did a shitty job. It's time to really hold all levels of our leadership accountable and to re-engage in civic society. So there's a lot of positive lessons that could come out of this. Yeah, yeah, I definitely connect with that one for sure. And uh, I think that's actually a really good point that you brought up of rem remembering that there are dark forces out there that are trying to use this against us. But the bigger picture, like I say from my perspective, and I'm curious if you agree with this, 
is I believe that the people of Canada, the citizens, are the ones who are trying to be beacons of light in this situation where it seems to be, um, I don't want to classify all businesses, but particular businesses seem to really be on the dark side. I'm going, this is just weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what it comes to light too. I mean, these corporations, generally corporations, it's not usually the small businesses, but these corporations that are put profits over people and put their shareholders over the concerns. And I think a lot of people, like if you were born in the fifties or the sixties, you worked for the same company your entire life, you were gonna get a retirement package. There's not the same loyalty that there used to be towards these corporations. People get fired really quickly. The yeah. low income, the um, moving, shifting resources to other countries where they have cheaper labor, right? So there's all of these examples of the way that the corporation no longer serves us. But throughout this pandemic, places like Amazon, Elon Musk, all of these, the 1% have managed to accumulate a ton more resources. Yeah, and lower end, another one. Bill Gates, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so then looking towards these people who are only concerned about accumulating wealth for themselves to be the saviors of our society is a detriment to us. These are not people who care about us. These are not people who are going to to save us you have to save ourselves and now's the time to do so and uh do you have any particular strategies for listeners beyond say gathering the information but how we can uh be beacons of light for ourselves and also um shift the way that we exist in our world say like with me i know i'm not shopping at Amazon and I'm not supporting Microsoft or Apple or Uber or Tesla or these different companies because of what I've learned about them. And is there things that you can recommend to people to like help contribute to the rest of the, our citizens? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. The first thing is and within our capitalist neoliberal society, money talks right now. So where you spend your money matters. And if you stop ship buying at Amazon, that's going to give small businesses a better chance at recovering through the pandemic. So that's already a really good point. Beyond that, getting involved civically. So maybe it means volunteering for an organization. Maybe it means writing a letter or learning a little bit more about who your political representatives are in the municipal level, provincial level, federal level. Yeah. Getting to, they have Their job is to get to know you as, as constituents. So they have a responsibility if you call them and say, hey, this issue matters to me, they have to get back to you. And when you do, it does make a difference. And then there's also a personal responsibility of just how do we get through this without being depressed and overwhelmed and exhausted from all of this. So sometimes it means taking a step back, like I said, and taking 24 hours off and just doing some personal care, taking a hot bath, doing a yoga class, um, having some really good food, you know, like sometimes we just need to take care of ourselves because like when I was working in the legal world, I was just so there all the time that I wasn't able to take care of myself and I just burnt myself out. So self-care throughout all of this is because you can't be good to anybody else if you're not good to yourself, right? No. So self-care and then getting involved. And during the pandemic, maybe that means writing letters at home. Maybe that means you can go out if you can. Maybe it means changing your shopping habits. Maybe it means buying local for and supporting local and medium-sized businesses. So there's lots of different things that we can do. And I think as a population, we're certainly becoming more aware of it. Organics, eat local, shop local, all of these things. But are we getting there enough yet? No, we still have a long way to go. Yeah, totally, I appreciate that. 
And I love the, the holistic perspective that you put to it. So it's not just about the information that we consume, but it's the food, the activities that we do. And it's like controlling our mental space, but then also our physical space and all these different things are coming into play. And it's funny how it's like we started with just information, but it's like everything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I really, I subscribe to that. It's a holistic piece because what we put into our bodies affects us and um, how we exercise. And it's interesting that gyms are closed and, and yoga studios are closed, but this cigarette store, like the corner store where you buy cigarettes and alcohol are still open and people have been smoking more weed than ever and all of these different things. So it's just interesting what, how, what we prioritize in our society. And it's not to shame anyone who's a smoker or who likes to smoke weed or whatever, but just to be aware that, hey, um, we do need to take care of ourselves and, and it's a process. Absolutely. It, like I've been asking questions, why isn't our government or why aren't we um, being promoted to take care of our health and our well-being and to eat healthy or to vitamin? Why isn't our government recommending, you know, just been asking those questions of why, you know, they close down churches, you know, that would be something for, you know, your mindset or your mind yeah. or whatever, you know? Um, mm -hmm. in Victoria, they closed down churches, I think, um, but bars are open and everything like that. So, I mean, just, um, yeah, just been asking these questions. Why is the government suggesting these other, these things that just don't work that aren't very healthy to us and why isn't it the other way? So, yeah. Yeah. Because we have a reactionary government. We have a government that's based on being elected every four years, having policies that appeal to the lowest common denominator and have a lot of special interests and special interests, again, care about their own profits and not the, the average needs of the citizens. So agribusiness, you know, as GMOs, as opposed to farming, uh, mom and dad farming shops and, and local organic farming markets and all of these things. So, I mean, for me, I, I feel very disillusioned with politics. I learned, I spent a lot of my younger life learning about politics, trying to get involved in the system. And I think it's time for some major political reform because I don't think that the government is effective at representing our needs. Yeah. And that means a change in the way we do things. And for me, one of the biggest letdowns was the proportional representation or electoral reform that Justin Trudeau promised and then backtracked uh, after he was elected. I think the electoral reform in whatever way it manifests is a good starting point because we need bottom up politics. We need community members bringing policies into government and government reflecting that, not some leader at the top telling everyone how to exist. So again, it's up to us as an ordinary citizenry to demand these things, to demand these changes. Yeah. And it means getting involved. Yeah. And I think it's also a combination because I'm actually having visualizations of businesses that I've heard stories about or read about. And the ones that were the most successful at creating good holistically so thinking not just about their employees, but the, the products that they're using or the manufacturing processes and like, you know, holistically a good business is they had that same thinking, the bottom up, and they would actually spend time engaging with the regular employees and having meetings and having basically a free means of communication from the bottom down, uh, like the very bottom entry level, all the way up to the CEO. 
and they made sure that it was as easy as possible for that information to go through. And it, yeah, it just makes sense as if our or if our businesses that do good can be successful that way, maybe that can be carried over to our government and uh, help change the system that's currently in place. Yeah, absolutely. And even within the corporate structure, there doesn't need to be a CEO who makes $10 million every time, you know, the average person will never be able to make that kind of money. So, yeah. and there's examples of that, like Abby Lewis and Naomi Klein, who are, are sort of well-known Canadians. Abby used to host CBC Counterspin. Naomi Klein is an author. They did a movie called The Take. Uh, it's a documentary about Argentina uh, a few years ago where this big corporation came in was exploiting the community and they left. They just left the factories empty and the people came over and started the work co-op and taking back their businesses, created oh. something really cool. And once it became a successful business, then obviously the international corporations were like, hey, wait a second, this is ours. And there was a huge fight that ensued. But uh, I would highly recommend you watch it. It's yeah. called The Take. Uh, Abby Lewis and Naomi Klein, really interesting documentary about how cooperatives can be a real challenge to mainstream business. Yeah, well, and I mean, if the corporate enterprises are feeling threatened by it, that's a big sign that it's like, okay, they see the power of this and they don't want it to exist. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. And um, the United States, I mean, we're, we are neighbors to this giant next to us, that is the United States yeah. and all of the insanity that is currently going on there. So it affects us, you know, we consume so much American news, so much American products, so much American food. So what happens in the United States where they're our biggest trading partner affects us in Canada. So it's also maybe time to diversify and reclaim our own Canadian identity a little bit yeah. more than rather than getting absorbed into that. I love yeah, that so into much. A, yeah, and what does a Canadian identity mean? Well, that's for us to decide. But for me, yeah. it's about inclusion, acceptance, tolerance, um, organic food, new ways of business, democracy, civic engagement. Those are things that are important yeah. to me and what I stand for as a Canadian. I love that. Uh, and actually, I talked about the same thing in my video. And I asked Justin Trudeau what his version of being a Canadian looks like. And I'm really hoping that he gets back to me. and uh if you're interested i would love your help in getting that message out yeah absolutely yeah i would love to see if he responds also <laughs> what that response would be we'll see we'll see <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah wow. but I, i'm i'm loving the way that you think because it, it's like it feels like that's the direction that we need to go because I mean, uh, I love business and my sister does as well. And one of the biggest and most common ideas when it comes to corporations is, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but one of his beliefs is the sole responsibility of a corporation is just for profit. And this is a thinking, yeah. from, I believe it was the 1950s and he wrote a book around this idea and I know all the majority of uh, corporations, not just in the United States or Canada, but worldwide have adopted and accepted this idea. And when I read that quote and some of the information around it, I was just like, no, 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 this can't be. <laughs> this just Yeah, but it is. I mean, that's what it, corporations are beholden to their shareholders. Yeah, that's what it is. It's about profits, profits over people, profits over anything, profits over the environment, over 
um, ecosystems and all these other things. So there needs to be a change in the way the capitalist system works. And so yeah. I'm not saying we have to destroy everything and or I'm advocating for communism or all these sort of things. And people have a really strong reaction to socialism or the word socialism, but there is social capital. Yeah. And there is a way to have social enterprises that work with the environment, that work with people and turning towards indigenous perspectives a lot. I mean, in Canada, we have a serious legacy of colonialism, of um, basically genocide, cultural genocide yeah. against our indigenous peoples. And there are a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom keepers who could help bring our country back in balance, working with nature, working with the environment, farming techniques, um, growing techniques, all of these things. So I think it's also as a country, if we're gonna move forward, we have to have some serious conversations about our colonial legacy here. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably our biggest issue as Canadians is the damage that's been done from uh, the, our ancestors coming to this country. And I mean, I know Sarah and I, we walk down the streets and some of the streets that we go down, you see First Nations or Indigenous individuals and they're sitting out in the street and they're not asking for money. They're essentially, I get the impression, just to connect with people because they feel, and I understand I need to talk to more people and this is only based on uh, what I'm observing. and. I really want to have a conversation with more people from that community. But what I'm observing is it's like when we just stop and talk to them and give them that kind of connection and make them feel normal, it's like they're so thankful. And it just blows my mind that that's not something that we're working towards to integrating them and making them feel like a part of our society. That's the thing though, right? What the ancestors did, but it's still happening to this day, right? Like, I think that's what 2020 shed a light on was, you know, um, pardon my ignorance, but I thought, you know, I was one of those people who was, I'm not a racist or whatever, um, you know, or I'm not a racist because I said I'm not a racist, but that's not the question we should be asking, which is what I learned this year was, how am I not a racist is what I should be asking because I grew up in the the system, we all did, we all grew up in the same system. We're all kind of programmed into it. So it's like how to unlearn what we've learned. Um, but that's just the sad thing is you see, you know, you see you, after some education, I still have a long way to go. Um, we all do. <laughs> totally, yeah. a long way. And that totally opened my eyes this, you know, especially uh, when the uprising with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and I'm still really frustrated about all that stuff because yeah. You know, the Taylor, no one got arrested at all or, you know, fired or anything like it's just frustrating. Um, but yeah, just that, um, you know, when you walk by these people now, you see that, holy shit, like our society is still doing this. Like, how mm -hmm. can we change that? Like, where would one start to, you know, rebuild in a different way? Yeah, there's a lot of trauma. I think there's a history of trauma of um, residential schools of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls of uh, in the north of killing the dog sleds of forced displacement forced communities so there is and water I mean from the basic the fact that there are communities that don't have clean drinking water in Canada is atrocious we're a first world country we should be able to offer all of our citizens basic access to clean water to food to a basic livable income all of these things can and should be done. There are enough resources. And 
um, and deconstructing our own colonial, colonial legacies. So that means learning about residential schools in our school system, learning about the murder of all these dogs in the North in our school system and allowing indigenous people to be the people who teach us this. We don't need white male professors being the ones lecturing about what indigenous history is in this country. So there's a lot of trauma, but there's also a lot of resilience. And I think from all different perspectives, there, there is an opportunity to move forward. Um, and one, just a side note, you know, I hear so often people say, well, where are you gonna get the money? Where are you gonna get money for healthcare, for education, for all of these things? There is a lot of money. Money is a, can exist in all different places. Um, it's where we put our values in society. So um, there, for example, there was just a wealth tax. It was for people making over $200 million in parliament. It was voted down by the liberals, the conservatives and the Bloc Quebecois. It was not a, a crazy asking amount, but a, just a small redistribution of wealth. Corporate taxes have been cut over and over again. We're relying on an oil and resource economy in Alberta and other places that clearly is dying. There is a huge environmental task toll that's being taken and the profits that could be reinvested into the system are not. They're being put into the pockets of shareholders, of CEOs. So there's a lot of money in this country. It's how we choose to use it. And I'm curious, do you feel if we were to redistribute the wealth that it would actually contribute to a more successful nation that say our GDP score or other things uh, related into that matter, like our financial wealth as a nation and independence in a way uh, would actually be uh, better off as a result of making those changes? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of research that's been done in terms of you know, universal basic income or a guaranteed living wage, however you want to call it, um, that being poor actually costs more. That if you have to go to a dentist and you can't because your tooth has a cavity and you can't afford getting a filling, not treating, treating the filling the first time lets it build up to the point where you miss a tooth or have to get your tooth taken out. And so if you had just addressed it in the first place for a couple hundred bucks, rather than letting it get to a place where it costs thousands of dollars, it would be a lot more affordable. So that's just an example of how being poor actually is much more expensive than having um, a livable income. And so if we guaranteed these basic things, it would allow people to reinvest into our society rather than, um, than having to, to live in poverty. And we don't see the people at the top reinvesting. We see them getting yachts. We see them getting private planes, going on these extravagant vacations. And it allows for uh, manipulation and um, uh, a taking advantage of people who are not in those positions. And so, um, you know, the trafficking, human trafficking, for example, that would be very different if people did not have to survive, you know, find ways to survive for an income. So, I mean, that wasn't the most articulate way to describe that particular example, but um, there is, there's a lot of proof that reinvesting into the people who need it in society benefits society. And actually that leads to a really good point and something that I'm really passionate about, especially since we're going to be talking, I love business and, uh, there are businesses that out there that are actually making the mission of doing benefit to not just uh, their shareholders or their employees, but again, holistically 
uh, even the people that end up being in their community. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the certification, uh, but one of the interviews we did previously, Kim Fuller was actually a B Corp. And there's like, there's many more and it's actually going international. So it's in the UK, it's in New Zealand, Australia, and all kinds of different places. And the United States here in Canada, and there's some pretty big companies that are in there, like uh, Danielle, the yogurt company, there's Patagonia, there's Ellen, uh, Eileen Fisher, there's, um, yeah, all kinds of different stuff. And are you familiar with those? Yeah, I'm for it, obviously. I think that the, when you're talking about corporate social responsibility, there's always the risk of it being a PR campaign, of it um, not really like, hey, we're giving, we're a bank and we're going to give money to a soccer club because you see we care about our community, but at the same time, we're going to charge you extravagant account fees. So there, I'm, yes, I think B corporations, these certifications are great things. Uh, anything that helps move it forward, it, to me, there could be more of a challenge to the system as it is. It's a great first step, but is it going to be enough to challenge the system, to challenge the people? I don't know. Uh, I hope so. I certainly am for anything that helps all human rights standards, labor standards, environmental standards. Uh, I hope so. It remains to be seen. Yeah. And I'm curious because of uh, maybe this is another way of dealing with the circumstance uh, beyond just uh, encouraging people to do a, a better result, say, with eCorp. Do you think also uh, on the government side, giving funding to businesses that want to make that transition to a better impact and then also finding or putting some sort of tax in place for the businesses that want to remain in that old way of doing business? Uh, do you yeah, think that would be those better? are great examples. Right. Yeah, there's lots of more other examples too that are the same thing. So like you were saying, having different tax mechanisms. So uh, for the Green Party, for example, they're a big one for the carbon tax, yeah. taxing individuals who, who are still polluting. Uh, you can do it in the same way for human rights. The problem and the, the counter argument is that if you are a giant corporation that isn't in Canada or doesn't have a home base in Canada, if you don't like the policies, well, you're just going to go to a different country and still... Right manipulate and use slave labor and all of these different things. I would counter that to say that that's not necessarily the case. Canada is a stable democracy. Uh, companies want our resources, companies want our, our dollars. So we actually have a lot more power than we think we do. And yes, there's always risk that capital is gonna flee, but where is it going to flee to? There's not that many stable markets and Canada is a great place to invest. So we can demand more from, from companies that do invest here. And that actually reminds me of an example. Uh, I believe this was Norway. Uh, I'm not too certain. Um, so please, if anyone's listening, don't fact check me. But I know it was a, a, like a, a Scandinavian country that was big in oil. And what they decided to do, instead of following the oil market and its pricing structure, they decided to set their own prices. And people freaked out at first. But what ended up happening is they ended up massively increasing the profits of the nation. So now they're far more profitable than they've ever been because they said, no, we're going to set the standard and you get to choose whether or not you do business with us. And it actually worked out for them really well. Yeah, it was Norway. And they also nationalized part of their oil industry. 
and then also made a huge public fund so mm -hmm. that rather than um, the capital being able to leave the country into all these shareholders or wherever, they said, no, this is a public fund and they have millions and millions of dollars available for public infrastructure for reinvestment into society that we could have too if we, if we demanded better here. Yeah. <laughs> Dash is just that's why I keep reaching down. This is my uh, little puppy Dash. He's a rescue, and uh, he just had surgery, so he just needs a little yeah. love today. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. You shared so much uh, a wealth of information here today. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's just stuff for people to think about. We have to have these conversations in order. To, to move these things forward. And I think that there is more of an appetite to have these conversations and we all need to be a little bit more educated. We all, mm -hmm. it's a learning process for all of us. I don't pretend to have any or all of the answers, but I certainly wanna have conversations that help move all of us forward. Absolutely. And we'll gladly support you in that because that's what we stand for as well. Yeah, well, thank you guys. I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing too. And uh, it's been great just to be able to chat about it for a while. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, Justin, where can, um, besides your YouTube channel, or is your YouTube channel where we can find you moving forward? Yeah, uh, Justin Canada, J-U-S-T space I-N Canada, or Canada Social Changemakers. You can certainly find my interviews there. Uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, all the traditional social media stuff. I certainly enjoy uh, engaging with with people and and learning about the great things that other people are doing in this country as well uh, but yeah definitely check out the youtube channel and yeah that's it okay. well, we'll put the links down below on um, the youtube video and as well in our description as well and um is there anything else you'd like to share with us today uh, no, just that it's important for all of us to be civically engaged and just a reminder that this is an opportunity, the best opportunity while we're still at home to take care of each other and to remember that we are a community and that as things get really intense and heated and it's easy to be angry and see all of these hateful things on social media, it's also an opportunity for us to take a step back and, and just be good humans who care about each other. I like that. It's a great way to end it. A great way. I think so, especially we're moving into, you know, 2021 here. We're only eight days in and um, it's already begun yeah, yeah. with our neighbor there. So, and I'm, and it's already begun everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm sure it's going to be one heck of a year this year. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, we'll see what the future has in store, but we definitely have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to, to let the environment fall apart or we have an opportunity to to re-examine the way we do things and, and make changes for the positive. So let's choose the positive. Absolutely. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much for being here with us today. Such a pleasure. Oh, thank both of you. Yeah. Thank you.